really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I can always be found on Twitter. I am at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. So with all that out of the way, let's get on with the show. This is actually a two-parter this week. Uh, we've got one part, with, uh, which is an interview with John Anderson to talk all things Six Nations from the weekend, round four. And this, uh, this half is going to be uh, all the other rugby I watched this weekend. So let's get on with it, shall we? So current updates. So things are they're very 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 challenging for me at work right now. But I have to remind myself that there is a learning curve involved and you know, nothing worth having is ever easy to get. A uh, quick little funny side story about some of my kids this week. So part of what I have to do is lunch duty every now and then. And uh, it's, well, that's exactly what you'd think it is. Uh, most recently, uh, one of my boys had come over to a table full of girls, and they were all sort of lightly teasing each other about it and joking around. Several several girls uh, were pro- proclaiming that the boy and the girl he sat next to were, quote, dating, unquote, and in love, as they said. And, and they, they asked me, did you know that these two were dating? And I said, oh, that, that's lovely. I always appreciate true love. One of the girls looked incredulous and said, what? It's not true love. It's seventh grade. So that was definitely the line of the week for me. <laughs> He's stupid. He's stupid. People have to know. Well, I don't know if it's good news, but it's definitely news, Isa. So former head coach of Australia, Mr. Michael Cheka, who has been an assistant for Argentina since leaving the Wallabies. He is poised to take over as head coach for Las Pumas uh, and Argentina, you know, Get ready for a wild and likely up-and-down ride, my friends. Uh, quoting here from Rugby Pass, quote, newly, assigned, uh, newly appointed Argentina rugby coach Michael Checa has told the Pumas he hopes to take them from being good to great. Quote, the level is there and the quality is there, no doubt, ex-Wallabies mentor Checa said on being introduced by the Argentina Rugby Union at an online news conference. When you are consistently good, you become great. So let's start off by being good. And let's be good as much as we can, and then we'll see where we can end up. <laughs> End quote. A championship-winning coach with Irish club Leinster and Sydney-based Super Rugby side, the New South Wales Waratahs, Cheka guided the Wallabies to the final of the 2015 World Cup in Britain, the year after taking over the team in Britain, it says. Interesting. Uh, he resigned in acrimony. Four years later, however, after Australia crashed out of the World Cup quarterfinals in Japan, matching their worst result at the global tournament. He takes over in Buenos Aires for Mario Ledesma, to whom he was an assistant for two years before Ledesma resigned as head coach last month after a string of poor results. The new deal will take the 55-year-old through to the 2023 World Cup. Quote, in test football, it is about being and feeling your best and being at your best on that right day, Cheka said on his new challenge. That was, uh, I forgot to end the quote there. Um, that's why I think the team needs to understand it's, it's about just learning how to be best on that day. And that is something I hope my experience can bring them, unquote. Argentina, yeah, I, I, I wish you well. 
Um, moving on to my thoughts of the week. My thoughts of the week are simple this week. If you haven't secured your tickets to the Free Jacks this year, my God, what are you waiting for? It's it's an awesome venue, an awesome organization. It's a great product. They take care of their fans. The team is effing amazing. Everything about it is irresistible. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself tickets. They're remarkably reasonably priced. And as I mentioned on Twitter just uh, a couple of days ago, at least for that opening contest, the beers cost five bucks. Five bucks at a pro sporting event. Can you believe that? So seriously, uh, I know it was crummy out this weekend, but the next match is April 2nd. April 2nd is usually, uh, traditionally here in New England, that's the day after the second to last blizzard of the year. So get your butts down there. It's an incredible experience. You won't regret a single thing about it. Of course, that brings us to our reviews for the weekend. Uh, Usually during Six Nations, I I lead with Six Nations. And uh, in a way I did because I sat down with John Anderson from the Scottish Rugby Podcast yesterday and we had a long chat about the whole weekend. So uh, I'm going to update that episode and make sure that these are sort of connected in a way so you can see they're two halves of the same piece, as it were. Um, But for this half, I'm going to move on to what's next? Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Super Rugby Pacific, of course. Uh, the weekend in Super Rugby, it started off with the Blues, you know, quote, at home, unquote, facing my Highlanders. Uh, I, I can read you right now the sum total of my entire notes for this game. Ugh. Yeah, my Highlanders are 0-4 now. Things do not look good. It's hard to see turning this one around. They only play 15 rounds. Uh, bouncing back from 0-4 when you've got only 11 more chances, that sounds not good. Anyway, best of luck, guys. I'm still rooting for you. Next was, of course, the Rebels at home for the Brumbies. The Rebels, they continue to be disappointing. It seems like they should have made bigger strides by this point. Uh, The Brumbies, they pretty much pushed them around all day long. They would more than double their score by the end. It was 17 to 36 in Melbourne. Interesting uh, little side note. It it was like a massive migration of seagulls had come through and they decided to spend some time watching the footy. It was it was really kind of beautiful on on camera, just sort of swooping in and out of the shot. By the end, they were pretty much just standing around all over the field. I'm almost surprised one of them didn't get taken out of the air by, I I don't know, a Reese Hodge kick or something like that. It would have harkened back to that time when Randy Johnson obliterated a pigeon with a fastball. If, If you don't know what I'm talking about, I dare you to Google it. Uh, next was, of course, the Chiefs at home for Crusaders. Crusaders, I just learned, have the highest percentage in terms of their own lineout success, boasting a 90% rate heading into the game. That's pretty incredible. They didn't appear to be their usual destructive selves, however. After the first quarter of play, it was a one-point contest. It was only 8-7. to seven. Chiefs even briefly took the lead before it bounced back again. And then Mwanga, he got another three with the clock in the red for the first half. So 14-10 to 10 was the tally at the break. It only took Crusaders a few minutes to make it 21 to 10. And in my notes, I wrote the beginning of the end for Chiefs. However, as always, I was very happy to be wrong with no more scoring for either side until past the 70 minute mark when Chiefs scored and converted to try to get back within four with only a couple of chances left time wise with the clock past 80. Chiefs were still asking questions, got themselves to line out right at the Crusader five-meter mark. The last time the Chiefs won in Christchurch was 2016, by the way. So this was a huge moment. Oh, and there it was. Excellent execution. A beautifully flat cutout pass. Got them a try right in the corner. Just amazing. With Warren Gatlin's son, Bryn, making the conversion. Chiefs, they found themselves winners away at Crusaders for the first time in more than six years. Phenomenal stuff on the day. Next, of course, was the Fiji and Drua. Uh, they were facing the Reds. Fiji and Drua, they struggled in this one. Uh, around the 50-minute mark, the Reds had doubled their score, 18-9 to after the non-jock-jock had slotted in another penalty. 
the Drua were down 28 to 16 just before the final 10 minutes when Josefa Tamani, I hope I'm saying his first name right, uh, he made an eye-popping breakaway off a loose pass, and suddenly the visitors were within five. Oh, my word. And then Vinaya Hibosi, I mean, I had to watch the replay a few times just to believe what I saw. The pace from this guy, holy crap. He just outpaced everyone on the field. Getting to uh, getting a try to draw level with only about seven and a half minutes to play, so good. The crowd, they were completely out of their minds right then. The conversion went awry, however, so this one was deadlocked as the clock wound inexorably down. Side note, uh, the replacement scrum half for the Reds, he looked about 14 years old. He reminded me of some of the, the paintings of Danny Kerr from the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Anyway, the Reds, they struck back, but after the second conversion in a row went off the posts, Fiji and Drua had a final opportunity with under a minute. Guys, they definitely put the super in Super Rugby this weekend. Just breathless stuff. A kick to the corner, and on the final set piece for the home team, everyone in the stadium was just soaked in sweat. However, the comeback tale... It came to a close with the Reds making a beautiful steal of the line out. Game over. So close. So tight. Just great stuff. I was, uh, you know, you, you guys know me. I was obviously rooting for the Fijian Drua. This one hurt a little bit, but incredible nonetheless. 33 to 28 when all was said and done for that one. Uh, moving on, we had the Waratahs facing the Western Force. This was the last Super Rugby Pacific fixture I, I saw this weekend, and it was a lovely festival atmosphere. The place was just packed with families. They had incredibly silly contests and displays during the intermission, uh, including some sort of, uh, I think it was must have been a budgie smuggler, something or other, because they had lots of almost naked people who definitely shouldn't be showing off their bodies running up and down the field. It was, it was super fun, I have to say. Uh, and also the game itself was immediately followed by the same exact matchup team-wise for the Super W, which is the women's competition at the same level. And that was also a great game. In any event, Waratahs, they were in control most of the way with the force making a, a scrambling comeback late. And the away team got themselves a losing bonus point. The score was 22-17 to 17 in the end. A really good one. The Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica fixture was postponed. Uh, I, I have to be honest, I'm not sure how they're going to handle all these postponements now. They're just There's only so many weekends available, you know? As things stand, however, right now, three teams have played only three fixtures. Moana Pacifica has only played the one. Everyone else has gotten in the four rounds, and to be honest, I wish some of the Highlander dates had also been postponed, because my guys can't buy a win this year. In any case, we're looking at the Brumbies and the Reds being the only undefeated teams. Even though I've been covering it here, that still shocked me, I have to say. While the Mighty Crusaders are now 3-1, and one, the Waratahs, Blues, Chiefs, and Hurricanes all have two wins, while the Western Forest and Fiji and Drua have one win apiece. That leaves Maya Highlanders and the Melbourne Rebels and Moana Pacifica winless on the year. <laughs> Even though Maya Highlanders have had four cracks at it, Moana Pacifica's just had the one. Anyway, that's four out of 15 rounds, and things are heating up while they're getting complicated in Super Rugby. Okay, then back home here in Major League Rugby. Oh, it was a great weekend. The Thundercats, they got a nice win away against Seattle, bringing their season to 3-3, three and three, which now matches the Seawolves' record. So my whole uh, Seattle is back and Houston are terrible, those predictions are starting to look sillier by the minute almost. Final score was 21-19 to and a very close one. Dallas, they managed to score 26 points this, ho this week at home, but that was not enough to beat Nola, who scored 32 and got their second win of the year. Someone finally figured out how to beat the Austin team with Atlanta handing, their, uh, handing them their first L of the year. It was 29-14 to 14 in Atlanta. Big win for Atlanta. And uh, it's kind of annoying because my Free Jacks have to face Austin 
next week, and they're going to be hurting and waiting to bounce back. It's going to be a rough contest for sure. Um, on Sunday, New Jersey, they had their second home game, this time facing the Legion. And as I've been fearing, this, this Jersey team is for real. They edged out San Diego in the beer-free venue they call home. This is bad news for my friend Will Owen, whose team, if the transitive property holds true in all things, just became worse than my and his brother's team. Uh, Will, fear not. I think San Diego just had a bit of an off day. But the storylines in MLR continue to build in complexity. Finally, on Sunday, the reigning champs from Los Angeles were again at home, hosting the Utah Warriors in L.A. They lost yet again. Warning signs all over the place for these guys. Utah won fairly convincingly. It was 19-28. to Part of me wonders if L.A., because they're sort of resting on their laurels a bit, I wonder if they just think they can, you know, flick the switch, as they say, when when it comes time to the playoffs. So far, we, ha- we haven't seen that. And if they wait much longer, they might find it's not up to them after all. Of course, I, I did put it off. Saturday, at long last, it was the home opener for my beloved Free Jacks. Guys, I don't even need to report on the, the goings-on in the game because it was amazing. It, it was a classic New England thing where uh, the, the, the weather people here always call it the wintry mix. Uh, wintry mix usually means it's going to be super cold and awful. Uh, it's basically when it sort of is half raining and half snowing at the same time. It sort of went from drizzle to full-on snow. The wind was everywhere. It was miserable for the players. Uh, at, at the end, I, I was down asking some guys to sign the, the, the new jersey I had just bought. And uh, <laughs> almost everyone said, I'm really sorry, mate. I don't know if I'm signing this or not because I can't feel my fingers. It was that kind of game. We did get the W, though, now. And uh, that's great news for the Free Jacks. Um, Slade McDowell, he got two tries in this one and was just all over the place. It was a thing of beauty. Uh, we took out Toronto 21 to 15, I think was the final score. I'm not even sure that the W was what I was looking for. And the atmosphere was incredible. Um, I know a lot of people stayed away because of the weather, but it was still rocking the whole time. It, you know, it's going to be amazing this year. Guys, as I said earlier, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, get them now. It's going to be such a great year. The free Jacks are so good. Bowden Walker was again, incredible. I honestly felt bad for the guys out on the field. I think some of them had never, it's possible, had never played in conditions like this. But uh, as a New England fan, it always makes you feel good to see a a team show up and be shocked by the conditions and come out with a win. Uh, That's sort of a a Patriots tradition. And uh, it's, it's obviously not exactly the same thing, but what a great weekend in MLR. Okay, that brings us to the URC for the weekend. Not not a lot going on this week, but down in South Africa, they managed to convince some Welsh teams to come back somehow. Scarlets, they looked in charge against the Sharks until very late when the home team, they scored and converted two tries in what felt like about 13 seconds. Suddenly, Scarlets were hoping they could quarantine in a hotel somewhere. 20 to 13 with the final quarter to play, momentum all in the Sharks' favor. By the way, on the broadcast, they mentioned it was 26 degrees there, which translated into our bizarro American reckoning would be about 82 or 83. It was like the opposite of my Free Jacks home opener. But uh, I'll take the uh, I'll take the snow any day for this. Uh, anyway, the teams added a try apiece. Scarlets would try everything in their power to prevent a bonus point try for their hosts. But two yellow cards later, that's exactly what they got. 37 to 20 was the final score here. League table update to follow. Meanwhile, the Bulls... They looked entirely dominant over an odd Munster squad for most of that match until maybe the final 15 minutes when the momentum, it it really shifted completely. Suddenly, it was 29 to 24 with only about five minutes left. This after being down by a huge margin the whole way. Mornay Stain, he missed two chances to make the margin eight points, but 
His team still led in the dying moments. 29 to 25 was the total in the fifth win for the Bulls this year. Pretty exciting at the very end there. Meanwhile, back in Europe, <clears throat> Ulster, they were hosting Leinster. It was obviously very different than usual, you know, with so many players busy over in England listening to Dimwits singing Swing Low over and over again. Um, it, you know, it's hard to put your finger on why England as a, a team is so unlikable. But then you just watch a match at Twickenham and you hear people break into Swing Low and you go, oh, yeah, that's it. Don't get me wrong. I love the culture in, in the UK and Europe of fans singing together. It's so great. But this, God, it's it's as idiotic as it is inexplicable. I just don't get it. It also kind of saddens me that, you know, an amazing player like Mauro Otoje, he specifically mentioned over and over, not over and over, but a couple of times, how he feels it's inappropriate, how uncomfortable it makes him as a person. But he doesn't really mind his social media managers praising it online. It's it's a hot mess. It's It's gross. Anyway, this one was a really close one. The home uh, side was leading by five after 50 minutes. My guy, John Cooney, he was back fully in form after a bit of a messy ending. 18 to 13 was the upset win for the Ulstermen. That was really it for the URC this weekend. Um, I guess these makeup matches are starting to uh, add an element of sense to the overall league table. As of this writing, it's always hard to say how much they're updating their site, but I think the top six currently in the URC, we've got three Irish teams, unsurprisingly, on top, then two Scottish teams, and then, and you'd think it would have to be at least one Welsh team in sixth, right? No, sixth place is currently occupied by this, the Cell Sea Sharks. By the way, that sounds like a, a terrible team to talk about if you were having a drinking game or something. like Cell Sea Sharks, they're basically tongue twister RFC. Anyway, more specifically, it's predictably Leinster, Ulster, and Munster with 50, 49, and 41 points, respectively. Glasgow are then on top uh, over Edinburgh by virtue of, I think, having one more win than Edinburgh, despite the league points being equal. And yes, I imagine Welsh fans are feeling pretty crummy these days. Uh, so, you know, to be out of the top six on all levels, man, it is not good. And the Sharks at 6-1-4, and four, they are ahead of Ospreys by one league point, and Ospreys have already played one more game than them as well. Ugh, it is a sorry state of affairs throughout all of Welsh rugby at the moment. Okay, moving on to the Premiership. So, we started with Worcester versus Exeter. <sighs> Guys, a shocker, this one. Worcester coming out on top over the Chiefs, 35-31, to 31, in a thriller. Really some great, great rugby this weekend, guys. It was incredible. I swear, during Six Nations, sometimes all the, you know, for lack of a better term, regular club fixtures are, are kind of bad, where they sort of lack the talent that's away. But then there's sometimes some energy that comes from these new players that you get in. And sometimes, like this weekend, you find some real gems in terms of players you might not have noticed before, as well as just really exciting contests. This weekend was definitely the latter of the two. It was fantastic. Of course, Leicester, they were at home for London Irish. <laughs> you you got to start with this. Freddie Burns, he got his 200th cap in the premiership on the night. That is truly amazing. Got to admit, also, if he walked into a coffee shop where I was in line, I sincerely doubt I would even recognize him. Anywho, the Exiles, they looked pretty good pretty early, very early, in fact, uh, but it was to be the Tigers' day. Uh, Nadolo was incredible in this one. London Irish, they got a red card and found themselves down big, 40-21, to 21, speeding towards the final quarter, and it would end 47-28. to 28. Leicester looking to reassert themselves in this league right now. Next, it was Newcastle. They were facing Saracens. And I said, finally, 
the last few weeks when, when watching the Falcons, I've sort of semi heard the comms referencing an American player in their squad, but every time I've tried to figure out who he is, I've come up short. But that is because Greg Peterson, USA Eagle number 458, he is Australian born and has played almost entirely in Europe, so he totally went under my radar. I don't even know how he was USA qualified, but he is, and he's an eagle. So if you know, please let me know, because I'm just drawing blanks right now. In any event, it was close most of the way, but both the comms and I had a feeling it was only going one way. And sure enough, Ceres, they scored with only a few minutes left to make it 21 to 29 in their favor. And then the man renowned for his all-time record celebration for drinking for literally almost three straight days, Alex Good. He scored another try to put it away, making it 21 to 36 under a minute to go. That was the final score in this one. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the Alex Good thing, please look it up. And I think I'll even link it in the show notes. It was epic. Moving on, Sale were at home for Gloucester. And I think I heard the comms say that there were four Depriuses <laughs> out on the field for Sale right now. A pair of twins and then two other Depriuses. Oh my gosh. Anyway, by the way, if you haven't noticed, the way Sale's coach looks right now, he, he looks like the drawing of a stone giant from the original D&D Monster Manual. Oh, there it was. <laughs> That's how you know you're on the scrum of the earth, my friends. Anyway, um, I started to write down in my notes about how Faf got the start in this one, which was kind of nice. And But then, oh my God, I basically stopped taking notes for the most part after this because AJ McGinty went down with a knee thing. It, it, it looked, I'm, I'm getting angry just thinking about it, just thinking back on it. It looked obvious that they should have taken him out just for precaution. But they had him stay in like two plays later. He's on the ground in agony. Oh, my word. I was I was so angry at, I don't know, the officials or the med staff or the coaches or whoever or what combination of people made the decision to let him stay out there. Now AJ looks to have another serious injury. Man, oh, man. I'm, I'm a little choked up about this right now. He's our best eagle in the world, maybe ever. And, uh, yeah, he – anyway. Sale, they nevertheless, uh, they gathered more and more momentum. Suddenly all the, uh, is this Gloucester's year? People got a little bit quieter. I think I might be one of them at this point. Um, it's hard for me to think about this game because I just picture AJ on the ground, you know, literally screaming. Uh, anyway, um, Lewis Hillman Cooper on his premiership debut, debut, he got an amazing try to make it 26 to 22 with plenty of time to go. It was a very promising start for this guy who kind of sounds like a law firm. Um, after the extras, it was a two-point contest, but that's where it would stay. Sale hanging on, but just barely. I honestly have no idea what to make of this team right now. They're just completely schizophrenic. Um, anyway, Northampton, they were at home for Wasps. It was a close home win for the Saints, taking down the visitors 27-22 to in the end. I admit, I didn't actually bother to watch this one. It looks like I might have missed a good one. Uh, the one I, uh, I saved for myself for the very last, it was Bristol versus Harlequins. And I wrote at the beginning, this is a bit of an odd duck. Um, Harlequins, they got two tries in just three or four minutes. It looked like a certain blowout until Bristol got two of their own. But the cost, man, Luatua scoring the first try had to go off with an arm injury, followed by his fellow back rower going off right after that. Quinns didn't want to be left out of the injury wagon, so Tyrone Green went out with what looks like a serious knee injury. And before the, uh, before the scoring could continue, and keep in mind, everything I just said happened in under 20 minutes, but at that point, it was 12 to 19 for the visitors. The comps, they used a phrase I hadn't heard before, referring to how close the Bears were all grouped together. Uh, the guy said, 
you could throw a blanket over the lot of them, which <laughs> really cracked me up. I liked that. Uh, Bristol answered back, tied it up a minute or so later. At that point, we were on pace for a 76 to 76 draw if things went the way they had been going. An incredible try by Tizard, who showed incredibly soft hands, taking an offload from Esterhazen. And whoever this guy is on comms, he's starting to go a little bit bonkers with the analogies and catchphrases. Maybe we turn that knob back down a couple of clicks. Uh, to be fair, when he described someone as getting folded, at least he, uh, at least the metaphor was like a t-shirt rather than the more traditional deck chair. Naturally, while the first quarter saw, uh, saw 38 points between the sides, the second quarter saw just seven and ended with a Danny Care with Danny Care getting himself a yellow card. By the way, is there a less casual and sort of more official term for the sin bin? It, it sounds like it's you know a nickname or slang, but I've realized. They always say it. They never say anything else. And they even put it on the screen. I don't know. It cracks me up every time. They show a guy kind of looking serious, sitting there on some random chair, and it just says, Sin Bin. I mean, there has to be an official term for it, right? Please? Anyone? Anyway, Bristol, they would tie things up around the 48-minute mark. I have to take back my odd duck comment from earlier. This one was smashing. Just before three quarters had gone by, Bristol kicked a penalty for their first lead of the day as the rains really started to come in. Harlequins, they would take advantage of a yellow card against the Bears and scored a go-ahead try. Bristol, they, they kind of ran out of gas at that point. They flubbed a few chances within the, uh, the Quinn's five-meter line. And then Harlequins, they just marched on down, scored another to likely put it away. And 29-38 to 38 was indeed the final score. Harlequins, they look great. Bristol, they've got to be gutted right now. Okay, and here's something I don't usually do, but I brought it up just recently, and I really wanted to follow up on it. That is Rugby Europe. So a quick update. The Rugby Europe competition, it's going to wrap up this coming weekend. If you recall, this tournament will give us two direct qualifiers, while the team finishing third will go to the final qualification tournament to be held in November. The thing I hadn't really understood was the cumulative results from last year and this year are what counts. So Last year, Georgia came out on top with 24 points, followed by Romania and Portugal with 14 each, and Spain had 12. Russia and the Netherlands had 9 and 0, respectively. This year, Spain has 17, Georgia has 15, Portugal 12, and Romania 9. The Netherlands has 4, and Russia only 1. So that means those two countries are out of contention entirely. While Georgia has 39 points, Spain has 29, Portugal 26, and Romania, Romania 23. That's cumulative, obviously. So that means... Georgia is definitely in. Nobody can catch them at the, uh, next week. And I'm pretty sure it also means Spain is definitely in because Romania can only get to 28 if they got a bonus point win on Saturday. That does make that fixture a really big one, though, because all they need is a win to overtake Portugal and, and qualify for the final qualification tournament. And they're facing lowly Netherlands, so they are masters of their own destinies, they like to say here. Really exciting stuff leading up to the 2023 World Cup. Okay, of course, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, we are giving it to Slade McDowell of my New England Free Jacks. Mr. McDowell, your brace of tries in the wind and snow on Saturday, they were absolute things of beauty. Your energy and aggression really set the tone for the whole match. You've been an absolute force for us this year, and to me, have brought our team to a whole new level. Your uncompromising defense, your ability to do great work with and without the ball, your nose for where to be at what time, all of these things led to your top performance in terrible conditions, and you helped bring your loyal fans one heck of a victory in our long-awaited home opener, Slade McDowell. A heartfelt congratulations to you, my good friend, for you are this week's 
Diamond in the Ruck. Great job. Okay, everybody, that, of course, brings us to our previews for next week. We'll start with the Six Nations. Of course, it, it is the final uh, the final weekend for Six Nations this year, which means it'll be Super Saturday. All three, uh, all three matches will be played right in a row. This year, that means Wales will be welcoming Italy to start things off. Then a very much off-the-boil Scotland team, who, who <laughs> I talked to John Anderson about this in case you missed it. I, I said uh, they're going to have to check the airport lost and found to see if they can find their defense. Um, they'll be headed to Dublin for what feels like a date with an executioner. And finally, an incredible capper for the entire tournament with France back home in Paris looking to seal a grand slam against a very unpredictable England team. It should be incredible. Meanwhile, down in Super Rugby Pacific, scheduled at least, but we'll see, obviously, the Highlanders should be facing Moana Pacifica. I hope that comes off and we get a win. Uh, the Brumbies will be facing the Reds, a battle of the undefeated. That that should be incredible. The Fijian Drew will be facing the Western Force. Crusaders will be at home for the Blues. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so good. Uh, we'll also have the Waratahs versus the Rebels, and finally the Hurricanes versus the Chiefs. Over in the URC, it'll be the Bulls facing the Scarlets at home. Uh, Glasgow will be facing Edinburgh for the first of the 1872 Cups uh, Cup matches. That'll be great. That, that's going to tell us a lot about both those teams, I think. Um, anyway, the Lions will be at home for Munster. Sharks will be at home for Zebre. Storms versus Cardiff. I can't believe Cardiff actually have gone back down there, to be honest. And then Lions versus Ospreys to end the weekend with more of a whimper than a bang. Over in the Premiership, well, you know what? They're all in a bye this week so that they can rest up and enjoy Super Saturday like the rest of us. And, of course, back home here in the MLR, we've got Utah. They'll be facing Toronto. L.A. will be home for San Diego. Austin will be facing my New England Free Jacks in Austin. That is a that is our toughest contest of the year so far. And Austin are going to be dying to get back on the, on the horse, so to speak. Uh, uh, I'm not going to lie. Pretty worried about that one. Anyway. Dallas, they'll be facing Seattle. New Orleans will be facing New Jersey. And then, of course, winless D.C. will be facing Atlanta, who look like a real powerhouse right now. It should be another great weekend in MLR. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thanks so much for listening. I, I hope you've managed to catch both parts of this particular week. There, there was just so much to cover. Thank you for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. If you haven't reached out yet and would like to get in touch, please do. You can always use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on the Insta. You can always just email me by the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to leave me a nice review, you know, that would that would please me to know it. It would really help grow the pod. If you like what we're doing here, there's at least one way you can show your support listening to the show notes for this episode. But anyway, thank you all for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.